0: Good morning. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as senior pastor here as well as one of the elders and we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. I know that we've got several folks out uh, with the holiday week and others of you that are here uh, this morning, Uh, some of you for your very first time. Let me just say on behalf of our church that we're grateful that you're here and I would love to have a chance to meet you and visit with you. A couple ways that I can do that is after the service is over with I'll be out uh, near the foyer there and the lobby area, you can come by and say hello to me. And then also uh, the connect, connection card that we have. Uh, if you would be willing to turn that in when the offering plates pass a little bit later, that, that would give me an opportunity to reach out to you during the course of the week as well. Um, and then on this card, for all of us, uh, there's a place to put prayer requests as well as any spiritual decisions, things you're interested in signing up for or learning more about. You can fill this out and drop that when it's passed a little bit later uh, in the service. This morning, as we started singing, I was reminded of an email that I got this morning. And it was an email wishing uh, that I would have heartburn. And uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, And really, all of us should have heartburn. And you'll see as I read this email. Uh, Steve Doyle is uh, director of missions of a group of A network of churches we're a part of it's called brazos valley baptist network and uh steve will send emails to the pastors every sunday morning and this one uh this morning struck me and i wanted to read it to you uh he does start by saying he hopes that we'll get heartburn and then he explains what he means he says that in luke 24 jesus this was after jesus death burial and resurrection jesus appeared to two disciples while walking on the road to emmaus Uh, Jesus kept them from recognizing him as he walked with them and he taught the scriptures to them. Later, he ate with them and after blessing the food and breaking the bread, the eyes of those disciples were opened and Jesus disappeared from their sight. And this was their response. It's found in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn? That's the heartburn. Did not our hearts burn within us while he, talking about Jesus, talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? And so the question he asked us is, friends, does your heart burn this morning? Does it burn when you, like that pair of disciples, see Jesus in all of Scripture? Does it burn as the Holy Spirit enlightens your mind to understand God's truth? Does it burn with the same fervor it did when you first learned of Jesus all those years ago? Does it burn with a blazing intensity that makes you want to let others know? Remember how the two men responded. He goes on and quotes three verses at the end of that chapter in Luke 24. It says that those disciples in verse 33 rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11, the disciples, and those who were with them to gather together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. The only way that we can properly conduct our ministries or our lives for that matter is if we have heartburn. Don't let the worries of this world, the distractions of life, the discouragements of ministry stuff, snuff out the the fire in your heart. And then he says, I'm praying that you'll have intense heartburn this morning. My question for us this morning is, does our heart burn for the things of God? Or have we become kind of, I don't know, uh, desensitized to it? When we gather for worship, when we sit down and read the scripture, when we talk about things of God, when we tell others about Jesus, when we sit in in our hope groups whenever we're a part of the conversation about jesus is it ho-hum business as usual just kind of going through the motions is it gaining head knowledge or is it a life that is consumed by a desire to follow jesus i'm not talking about some kind of fake emotionalism i'm not talking about everybody responds the exact same way but the reality is this the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives should be such that it that it captures our very essence and our very being. And so my desire for us this morning and every day of our lives is that we would be attuned to what God is saying to us through his word and through the Holy Spirit and that it would capture our thoughts, our imaginations, and our responses so that when we walk out of this place, when we walk away from that conversation, so that when we finish reading the scripture in our quiet time, that our lives are changed and different because of our experience and encounter with the one true living God. And so my challenge to you this morning is along those lines. All right. That was pre-sermon. Don't start the clock. Here, we'll start the clock now. When you came in, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. You may have noticed that there are no notes here. Uh, Truth of the matter is, I had enough time to get the notes into the office. I just decided to do something a little bit different today. And that is, instead of having the notes here, they'll be on the screen. You can follow along. You can jot them down. You can have a little more freedom to take notes uh, as you choose to do so. Uh, You'll see the sermon title is here. The text is here. And then at the bottom of the sermon notes, you'll see where I'll be preaching from next Sunday. Or at least that's my plans right now. Um, All right, so the title of the message this morning is The Advantage of Jesus' Departure. We'll be looking in the book of John, but not quite yet. Let me kind of start us off uh, by setting it up first. Can you imagine being one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus? Can you imagine walking along with Jesus... And seeing all of the miracles that he performed. Can you imagine sitting and listening to him teach? And we know that uh, it's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus taught as one with great authority. We know that he displayed his great and awesome power in so many ways. We know that Jesus is God and that Jesus was was God in the flesh as he walked alongside of these disciples. Can you imagine being one of those 12? It's incredible to even think about. And then those 12 walked with Jesus, headed towards the city of Jerusalem. As they got closer to Jerusalem, after having been with him for about three years, Jesus began to tell them that he was going to be arrested, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be killed. And then in John 13, verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples, he looks at them, and he says, yet a little while I am with you. And then he goes on and says, and if I go. He made it clear to them that their time together in the way that they had known it was about to change because he would be killed, he'd be crucified, he'd be buried, he'd be resurrected, and then he would ascend and go to the Father in heaven. And then when we look at John 15, which we're not going to read the verses, but as we look at John 15, we see that the world, he tells them that the world would hate them and persecute them. So my question is, as we get ready to read the text for today, can you imagine the emotions and the thought patterns of these disciples? They've been walking with Jesus, experiencing him for all that he is, beginning to understand more and more of who he is, and then he tells them he's going to be killed. That's not a good thing in their mind. And then he tells them, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ascend and go to the Father. I'm going to leave you. I'm not going to be with you any longer. They undoubtedly were sad and angry and confused and whatever else may be the case. The question is, how are they going to cope with all of that? What is it that they're going to do now? And then Jesus kind of throws a little bit more out there. And not only is he saying that he's going to leave, but as we will see in the text in a minute, in John 16, verse 7, he literally says that it would be to their advantage that he was leaving. So that's why I've titled the sermon The Advantage of Jesus' Departure. The question is, how in the world are we better off that Jesus is not physically still on this planet? planet? How then, if they would be better off with him leaving could it be that you and I in some shape form or fashion are actually better than those twelve disciples not better than but have it better have a a, more to our advantage how could this be so I'm glad you asked those questions let's look at the answers John chapter 15 if you got a Bible go ahead and grab it turn to John 15 Matthew Mark Luke John in the New Testament if you don't have a Bible with you there should be a Bible near you like under your seat or on your seat that kind of thing if you need a Bible feel free to take that home with you. That'll be a gift from us. I'm going to read the last couple of verses in chapter 15, and then I'm going to jump into chapter 16 and read through verse 15. So John 15, beginning in verse 26. Now, Jesus, these are all the words of Jesus. He says, "'But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning.'" I have said all these things. All right, there we go. All right, I don't know what happened. There we go. I think I think I maybe had come disconnected. I'm gonna start back in verse uh, sixteen. Sorry, verse one. Sorry, my mind just kind of went chaotic right there. Let's look at John sixteen, verse one, and following. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And in verse 7, this is the one I told you about a moment ago. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, We as a church have been walking through the book of Acts, but we are taking these six weeks off uh, from the book of Acts, and we're in a series called Empowered. And the reason we've called it Empowered is because the reality is this. The only way that you and I are empowered to live a life that's honoring the God is by the work of the Spirit within our lives. And so in this series, we're looking at the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And so as we, I read that text, you can see that Jesus, the way that he comforts his disciples in the fact that he's saying that he's about to leave, in the fact that he's saying, I- I'm not going to be with you any longer, in the fact that he says it's going to be to your advantage that I leave, is he's saying that the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit would guide them. Back in John 15, verse 26, he uses the word helper, but then we see that he means by this word the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit would not come until he left. And so because of that, it was actually to his, their advantage that he would leave. So last week we talked about how a follower of Jesus, all of us, anyone that has trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I talked about how that's nothing to sneeze at, but that's a big deal. And so in this scenario, we can see that being filled with the Holy Spirit is really a big deal because according to what Jesus says, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit is to our advantage, even over the advantage of how the disciples had it while he walked on the planet with them. Now, I'm going to give you a few little notes, and they're going to be on the screen, and you can jot them down on your sermon notes if you'd like to, and here's the first point it's going to be on the screen, and that is the Holy Spirit is our helper, sent by Jesus from the Father. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and I'll tell you in a moment why I have it in quotation marks, sent by Jesus from the Father. You can write out beside that verse 26, verse 26 in chapter 15 of John. Depending on your translation, you may not have the word helper in verse 26. There's other words that are used in other English texts, such as advocate, counselor, comforter, friend. And even in some texts, it will say paraclete. You're like, what is a paraclete? I I had a bird growing up, but I'm not sure if it's a paraclete or not. I know it, I know it. Uh, So uh, (laughs) the reality is this, a paraclete. According to what the Greek word is, the, the word in the English is simply a transliteration. You know what transliteration is, right? It takes the, the word from the original language and just kind of adjusts it a little bit to, to your language. And so in the Greek, the word is not paraclete, it's or kletos, however you would say it. And the word there is a very ambiguous word. It's a combination of two words. It's a compound word. The word para, which means alongside, and cletus, or "kletos," which means one called. And so paraclete means one that's called to come alongside another person to help them or bring assistance as needed. And so, in this scenario, when Jesus says that he's sending the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the one who would come alongside and assist, what he's saying is he's going to bring you comfort. He's going to bring you help as you um, are grieving the fact that I'm leaving you. He's the one that's going to comfort you whenever you face persecution in, in your life. And so, that's one aspect of what it means that Jesus is, uh, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete. We'll talk in a moment more about other ways that he is our paraclete. I want us to focus on the second part of this main point. The main point is the Holy Spirit is our helper sent by Jesus from the Father. So let's focus on this idea that he is sent by Jesus from the Father. The Holy Spirit is sent to us by Jesus from the Father, which identifies in this one verse all three persons of the Trinity, right? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We worship one true God and yet as we worship this one true God, he is experienced by us in the distinct yet interrelated persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another word that we oftentimes will use for the word Trinity is Triunity, unity because it emphasizes the tri, the three, and yet unity, the one. So we worship one true God and he is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that they are intertwined as they interrelate with one another. All three are fully, equally, and eternally divine. And so in this scenario, when it says that the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus from the Father, then we see that the Trinity is involved in the whole process. The Holy Spirit does not speak on his own, but only what he hears. We see that later in the text. And so it's a reminder that interrelatedness between the persons of, of the Trinity. The fact that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own, but only what he hears reminds me of something that Jesus said about himself. John 5 verse 19 says this. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So what I want us to see is this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a power that we can somehow attain and hold on and grasp as if it's our own. Rather, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is eternally, forever, a part of the Trinity. He is God, and he is not simply a power, but instead he is sent to us by Jesus from the Father, and we don't grasp a hold of the Holy Spirit. He grasps a hold of us. Jesus promised to send us the helper. My question for you this morning is, have you received that helper? Have you received the Holy Spirit that he is talking about here? As we keep moving through the, through the, the outline, though, we need to see now what, who the Holy Spirit is. Now that we've seen who he is, let's take a look at what he does. I want to read verse 8. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit does. It says in verse 8, And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the note that you'll see on the screen is this. He convicts the world. He convicts the world. That is the role, the capacity of the Holy Spirit, is to bring conviction. What does the word convict mean? Don't just think of like throwing somebody in jail. Rather, think along these lines. Convict means to convince, to reprove, to prove wrong. And the reality is this, the world and the citizens of this world are wrong on a lot of things. And the Holy Spirit comes to set them straight, to set us straight. In verse 8, it says that he has come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then each of the next three verses, he breaks down what he means by each of those three areas. First, verse 9. Verse 9, it says that he comes, the Holy Spirit comes concerning sin Speaking or can bring conviction concerning sin because they do not believe in me The reason that the holy spirit comes is to convict the world of their sin You see the world does not see sin as a big deal A lot of times whenever people refer to sin, they just talk about mistake a problem an issue a flaw I was born that way But the reality is this, scripture clearly calls sin for what it is, and that is rebellion against a holy, perfect God. The only way that a person can see their sin for what it is is that the Holy Spirit works within their lives and they respond. See, I could stand up here all day long and tell you how sin is wrong, which it is. I could stand up here all day long and list all the variety of sin that exists. And I would could be truthfully right about that. But unless the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, it's going to just go over your head or in one ear and out the other. My question is, is the Holy Spirit working in your life in such a way that you're beginning to see sin for what it is? See. Scripture tells us that we are to follow the holy, perfect God and keep his law and to keep to his plan. But yet we, every single time, without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, go contrary to God's plan and begin to live life our way. The truth of the matter is, if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life as a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is residing in you so that you can trust God in him to do his work to bring conviction whenever you talk to someone about their sin. See, the reality is this. Whenever you share the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, you have to point out the fact that sin exists, but you can't convict someone that they are a sinner. You have to rely upon and trust that the Holy Spirit is doing his work. And that's a good thing. The next verse, verse 10, says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us concerning righteousness. And Jesus says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does Jesus going back to the Father have to do with convicting the world of righteousness? Think about how it is that Jesus is going back to the Father. The way he's going back to the Father is that he's going to go by way of the cross. That you going to go to the cross, and as he goes to the cross, he displays God's righteousness to us. That the only way that you and I can have the righteousness of God, in other words, the only way that you and I can have right standing with God, is not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done on our behalf. That Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live it. That Jesus died on the cross in order that if I place my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, that I can experience the righteousness of Christ in my life. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, and then he doesn't leave us in our sin, but rather he points us to the righteousness that's found in Jesus Christ because Jesus has come to make it a way right between us and God. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, if you're a follower of, Jesus, of Christ, Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to allow him to use you to share that the only way that someone can be made right with God is by Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross and in his resurrection. We can never live as if, act as if, say anything that would point towards the thought process that we somehow can work our way to God because we can't. Righteousness comes only through Jesus. And then he says in verse 11 that he has come giving conviction concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of this world? It's Satan. It's not say, saying that Satan is, is more powerful than God. It's the reality of the, that Satan's uh, realm, if you will, is this world, this broken, fallen, sinful world. And he's saying that the ruler of this world is judged. How is the world, ruler of this world judged? By the fact that Jesus died on the cross and was raised on the third day in order that we might be made right with God. Therefore, he has judged and judgment is coming for those that don't confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Think about... The crucifixion for just a moment. As Jesus was crucified, as Jesus was put in the, 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 the tomb, Satan mistakenly thought he had won. And then three days later when Jesus was raised again, Satan realized that he had not lost, that victory had come, that he had been judged, and that God was victorious. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to see that that's going to happen. And in fact, you may be familiar with this verse. You may want to jot it down. Genesis 3.15, where, um, where God is doling out the punishment for the sin in the garden between Adam and Eve, and then Satan shows up on the scene, and he's, he's sending out punishments. And what God says to Satan on that day is that, that there would be an offspring coming from the woman, which is pointing to the coming Messiah, and that, that Satan would bruise the heel of the offspring, but that the offspring would cry his head so the reality is this judgment is a real thing we live in a world that we want to kind of shy away from this idea of hell like we want to say everybody that dies goes to see Jesus in heaven but the reality is that isn't true is it you're like hold up a minute Alan I don't think I like this idea the reality is scripture is clear That there is an eternity waiting for all of us. That there is a day of judgment coming for all of us. And that that judgment day will have nothing to do with whether my good outweighs my bad or vice versa. Uh, that my judgment has nothing to do with whether I'm an American or in another country. That my, my judgment has nothing to do with when I was born or where I was born or what job I had or how good looking I was or how athletic I was or, or, or how, how I convinced everyone that I was a superior moral person. The reality is this, that our judgment is based on one thing and one thing alone. And that is what did we do with what Jesus did on our behalf? Did I reject it? Or did I accept what Jesus has done for me? And scripture says that if I have rejected what Jesus did on my behalf, that there is a very real place called hell and that God will send us there, not because he is vengeful and angry and mad, but because he can have nothing to do with sin. And if I don't accept what Jesus has done on my behalf, there's no righteousness in me. And therefore I have to be eternally forever separated from him. So the Holy Spirit comes. He comes to reveal sin. He comes to reveal um, uh, sin in our life. He comes to reveal self-righteousness where we think we can do it our way. He comes to bring condemnation, uh, to call men to repentance and faith. The reality is this the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of our need for Jesus Christ so that we would place our faith and our trust in him. And my question for you this morning is has there been a time in your life where the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin? You acknowledge that you were a sinner. And that you had no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Those of us that have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit resides within us. And so the Holy Spirit speaks through us. We are to be his agents that he uses to call the world to repentance. And the interesting thing is this. There's an interesting combination. And that combination is this. No one can see their need for Jesus without the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sins. And yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit chooses to use us as followers of Jesus to point to Jesus. So it's 100% the work of the Holy Spirit, while also he uses us to proclaim the truth of Jesus to others. The role of the disciple, the role of the follower of Jesus is to bear witness to Jesus, and the role of the Holy Spirit is to make that witness effective. So my question for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you allow the Holy Spirit to work within you so that you can lovingly point to sin, righteousness, and judgment? Or are you too busy living your life to do so? All too often, I see one of two extremes. And one extreme is, I'm living my life, I'm so busy, I don't want to offend somebody, so I'm not going to call out sin, I'm not going to point to sin, I'm just going to kind of talk in warm and fuzzy kind of stuff. Or, I, 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 by golly, I want them to know that sin's sin, and I'm going to preach them the judgment, hellfire and brimstone, and I'm going to rain down the wrath of God upon them. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Where I almost get my jollies from screaming and shouting and yelling. And you're like, Alan, you're always loud. But if I'm not careful, and when I say I am, not just talking about Alan Pittman. I'm talking about all of us. Those of us that follow Jesus, we can either ignore sin and not point others in a loving fashion to Jesus. Or we can be so fixated on it that I want to point my finger at everybody else. And I'm constantly condemning and judging others. The reality is this. Sin is real. Righteousness comes only through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection. A judgment really is coming. And yet, at the same time, we are called to lovingly point people to that truth while trusting the Holy Spirit to do his work and not be forceful to try to make it happen in their lives. So, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to use us? Are we the mouthpieces of the Holy Spirit so that he can share? his good news with those around us. All right, got to keep moving. The next point is going to be on your screen, and that is that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. We see that in verse 13. Not only does he convict sin and righteousness and, and uh, judgment, he also leads us into all truth, found in verse 13. It says that the spirit of truth, that's what he's called, the spirit of truth. When he comes, he guides us into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, the role of the Holy Spirit is to continue to convict Christians of their sins, yes, and to point them towards the truth of following Christ. When it says that he's going to guide us, that means to lead or teach or show the way, Remember that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the truth. Remember that Jesus said, I am the truth and the way and the life. And so the reality is this. The way the Holy Spirit points us to all things that are true means that he guides us to Jesus by revealing the scripture which he has written and inspired for us. The Holy Spirit inspired the written word of god and therefore the holy spirit takes us to the written word of god so that we can understand who jesus is when we read god's word we should allow the author to guide us as we read his word All too often, we just pick up the Bible, we read it, and we don't consult what God has to say to us about it. I don't know about you, but I was not a huge fan of literature classes in school. I distinctly remember like in seventh and eighth grade, the teacher would ask us, what do you think the author meant when he said X, Y, Z? And I'm like, I'm not the author. Go ask the author. Why don't we just ask the author and he can tell us and we won't just sit here and speculate and make some kind of crazy idea of what you think this means. Let's just see it for what the author meant by it. The reality, amen, I got that hearty amen, when it comes to God's word, the only way that we can understand what it means for our lives so we can interpret it and apply it to our lives is if the Holy Spirit, the one who authored it, leads us to that understanding. You see, the Holy Spirit explains the word to us. The Holy Spirit allows us to recall it in our times of need. I believe there's two ditches to avoid. Two ditches in life to avoid in regard to the Holy Spirit leading us into truth. Some people on this ditch on my right will totally ignore the Holy Spirit's work in this area. And therefore, you just dive into the Bible and just read it and just do it and all of that, but you don't ever consult what the Holy Spirit is leading you with it, and you are missing out on what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us in God's Word. And then there's another ditch, and that is that others begin to believe things that are contrary and inconsistent with Scripture and claim it's from the Holy Spirit. I've got a word from the Holy Spirit, and yet it's contrary to what the Scripture says. The reality is this. The Holy Spirit works in and through our lives. The Holy Spirit works in and through our lives as we read God's Word, but he never contradicts what's written in the Word. And so for the Holy Spirit to lead us in the truth, we first of all have to consult him. And secondly, we have to ignore everything that says something contrary to what he's already declared to us in his word. So let us allow the Holy Spirit to be alive and well within our lives. All that the Holy Spirit guides us in must align with scripture. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we read a text in the book of Acts about the Bereans, that they were, they were smart because they studied the word to compare it to see what Paul said and was it true. Whenever we study God's word, whenever we hear the Holy Spirit work in our lives, we must be like them and study God's word and make sure that it aligns with the truth that's found there. In this day and age, there's a lot of truths out there. In your search for truth, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, lest you be led astray. You ever heard this idea that that sometimes we want to hear what our itching ears want to hear? And so we hear maybe a, a, a teacher or a preacher. Maybe we read a book. Maybe we begin to hear someone in our hope group describe an interpretation of the scripture. And the reality is they're not staying true to what the Holy Spirit meant by that. But it sure sounds good to our ears. The reality is we have to not listen to our ears. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to allow him to do his work in and through us. Because it's him that guides us into all truth. I wanna to read to you second Timothy chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen. Probably a set of verses you're familiar with. If you're a part of wanna, definitely probably familiar with this. Here's what it says. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, the Holy Spirit guides us in truth. Look at those verses. He guides us in truth by teaching us. He guides us in truth by reproofing us, by correcting us, and by training us in righteousness. My question is, are you spending time in the word? Are you seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance as you do? You see, he leads us into all truth, but we need to listen to him. And I want to wrap up by looking at my final point, and it all ties to everything else that we've seen along the way, and that is the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus because he takes what Jesus taught us and then he teaches it to us. Remember that the Holy Spirit doesn't act according to his own authority. Rather, he's going to point people to Jesus, bearing witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. No, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing his finger towards Jesus and telling us to look at him, look at him, look at him. He doesn't point to the preacher. He points only to Jesus. I don't know how much uh, televangelists you've watched through the years, uh, whether for comedic relief or if you were watching them. Uh, there's a little bit of both in televangelists, right? And it, it, you might think of the person that I'm talking about here, but I'm not going to draw attention to him. I'm going to draw attention to what the Holy Spirit does and does not do. There was a particular one who. I believe, got his jollies by looking like he was healing everybody in the room and that he would slay everybody in the spirit. And he would literally get his microphone and he'd start on this side over here and he'd blow in the microphone and do around here while everybody was supposed to fall back and all of that. And he'd he'd have his jacket and he'd like swat somebody with his jacket to bring healing to him. And he'd sling his jacket over his back and he'd be all grinning and smiling. Guys, that didn't draw attention to the Holy Spirit. I mean, to, to Jesus, that drew attention to that pastor. It was like, look at me, look what I did. If we're not careful, when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we will do a couple of things that are both in error. And that is, we can end up making the Holy Spirit all about me. And look at me, the Holy Spirit gave me this gift. Look at me, I'm talented, I'm skilled, look at me. And if we're not careful, we can make everything about the Holy Spirit and forget that the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. These things are off base. They push people away. Satan uses counterfeit to scare people off. But the reality is this, in the midst of knowing that the Holy Spirit, I mean, that the Holy Spirit can be manipulated, not can't be, but people choose to try to manipulate the Holy Spirit should not cause us to be afraid of the true work of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, just as the written word of God is alive and well, so is the author of that book and that is the holy spirit and the holy spirit seeks to guide us into truth and to glorify Jesus as he does so let's make it all about Jesus let's make it about glorifying him and people will be drawn to him a life lived in the spirit glorifies Jesus our mission is to bring glory to Jesus to Everybody, and what I mean by that is to let everyone know that they can experience the glory of Jesus. The only way that we can do that is by the Holy Spirit. He empowers us for the mission. I want us to look back at John 15, 26 and 27. In John 15, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It finishes in 26 by saying that the Holy Spirit bears witness about me, talking about Jesus. So, to, it says, he will bear witness about me, and then 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And the reason I wanted to read those verses is this, because it says that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. And then he says that you and I are to bear witness to Jesus. And so the reality is this, the way that the Holy Spirit will typically bear witness to Jesus is by using us as his mouthpieces so that we can preach and teach and point others to Jesus. And as we do that, it's the Holy Spirit that still alone convicts people of sin and righteousness and judgment, but he does it through us. The only way for us to adequately tell others about Jesus is by walking in the Spirit, If we're not walking in the Spirit, then we can have out of our mouth come the words that are true to the gospel, and yet it might not have the power that it should because the Holy Spirit's not alive and well within us, and therefore the conviction may not be there because we are trying to do it in our own strength and our own power. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in you so that you can point others to Jesus? This morning, we've looked at two main things the Holy Spirit does. One, he convicts of sin and points to the hope that's found in Jesus. And then, secondly, he guides us in all truth. Some of us in this room this morning, I'm not going to be able to convict you or convince you. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. But my question to you is this Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner in a need for a Savior? Do you acknowledge that your righteousness is piddly squat? And do you acknowledge that righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Do you acknowledge that the day is coming where judgment is coming and that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to live and bleed and die and be resurrected again so that you could place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation? If that's something you've never experienced, I want you to know that today can be the day of salvation. You can pray that Christ would forgive you of your sins based on what he's done on your behalf there at your seat. You can mark it on your card. We can talk about it later. You can come and pray at the altar. You can come and pray with me. All of these things are available. All you need to do is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Others of us, we need to respond this morning. We have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, and we need to be living in a way that the Holy Spirit is at live and at work within our lives as he guides us into all truth and that then we turn around and allow him to use us as his mouthpieces to share the hope that's found in christ i want to pray for us and at the end of that prayer i'll be available here at the front if you'd like to come and pray with me like i said you can use your connection card You can pray there at your seat, you can pray here at the altar, but let us spend just a few moments seeking where the Lord may be leading us and how the Holy Spirit may be convicting you today. Let's pray. Father, we know, we know that everything we've looked at this morning is about you and not about me, not about this church, not about anyone else, but instead it's about Christ. Christ. And so, Father, I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit would be working in the lives of the people in this room and watching this video. That your convicting spirit would would speak to those that need to place their faith and their trust in Jesus for the first time. That the words of the Holy Spirit would convict those who have not followed up with baptism that that's the step they need to take. That others, it might be a conviction uh, of something else, but God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and well in our lives and that we would respond. Father, I pray that your way would would, would, would come this morning and that we would be responsive to it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt us and lead us, convict us, and move us to the direction that you would have us to go. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Would you stand with me? During this first song, you can respond, as I mentioned a moment ago. And then during the second song, we'll continue to respond. But one way in the second song that we'll respond is with giving. And if you brought an offering envelope, if you've got a connection card, some offering plates will be passed in the second song, and you can drop that there. But let's spend a few moments responding and worshiping and following the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives this morning. Let's sing